Good morning. Oh, it's good to be together. We're going to open God's Word and we're going to walk through it. Last week we started this new series called Making the Main Thing the Main Thing, where we went through one verse. That's my jam. Today we're going to go through one and a half verses. Yeah, that's not true. We're going to do more than that. But we're going to study 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to get through one and a half verses in that passage. If you guys have your bulletins, they're more of a sheet of paper in particular because we want people to have the opportunity to write down notes. And one of the special things about the service today, especially in the series, is we want to give people the opportunity to ask questions. And so if there's something that maybe I wasn't very clear about or something that's kind of is on your mind as we're studying this passage, write down that question towards the end of the service, around takeaway time, we're actually going to give you the opportunity to ask questions as well. And as long as you're okay with my answer being, I don't know, we'll try, okay? So that's what we're going to do today. But do pay attention the best of your ability and take notes and write down any questions that you may have this series is exciting for me because it's 1 Corinthians 15. It's 1 Corinthians 15 through these verses, whereas Ruth read this week and last week, there is this understanding that the gospel, the good news, there was an event that took place. And it was, it was predetermined way before we realize. And that Jesus did live the perfect life that we could not live, died the death we deserve to die, and physically rose from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. And so we want to always put that in front of you. We want to talk about the kingdom of God. We want to talk about redemption. But today, we're not just going to talk about the gospel in its fullness and a holistic gospel. We're going to talk about how to share this gospel with other people. People are awkward, right? Amen. Yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm glad that we can say amen to that. People are awkward, and some people don't know it. Some people embrace it. And some people really aren't awkward, but they love awkward situations. Think Jim in the office. Awkwardness tends to come from a misunderstanding of a social situation or how to engage with another individual. And nowhere is this more prevalent in the church of Jesus Christ than when it comes to sharing Jesus, which is known as evangelism. I've never seen people be more awkward than when it comes to sharing Jesus, is what I'm trying to say. I've seen some of the most awkward evangelism, I think, in the history of the world in the Bay Area. I've seen people waiting outside houses so they could randomly run into someone to talk about Jesus. I've heard people sneeze and someone go, God bless you, so about God. I've seen people have their garbage cans ready so when someone else takes their garbage cans, their neighbor takes their garbage cans out to the street, that they're prepared to grab their garbage cans, go down there, put them out there, and randomly go, oh, hey, good to see you. Did you know my life was garbage before Jesus? I have seen gospel sharing in traffic, y'all, stuck on 880. Sitting there, people in different lanes just waiting probably to get to work, and they're sitting there, and windows are down, and one person's like, man, this is hell. You don't want to go to hell, do you? I have seen the most awkward evangelism, especially in this area, and here's the thing about all of those. Some of you were like, oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to try that. Don't, <laughs> don't. Those are forced Usually, they're under the assumption or belief that evangelism is required as a Christian. 
Listen, it's not required. It's a natural response to redemption. When you've been redeemed by King Jesus King, how can you not want to tell someone about it? The truth is that we do this in so many different avenues. If we go to a restaurant that's awesome, there's an entire uh, website devoted. There's an app devoted to evangelism. It's called Yelp. And so we will evangelize about things that literally are going to burn one day. But Jesus, and the difference that he's made in our lives, the natural response to our redemption is to tell others about how great he is. The gospel's taken root in your heart. If you've experienced something that's changed you, if you find joy, how could you not want to share that with someone else? The only reason I could imagine is that you found religion, but not a redeemer. You found a new way to become a better person, but you didn't personally meet the person of Jesus Christ. Evangelism is not about your effectiveness. It's about your obedience. And for some of you, you needed to hear that today. You do not get a gold star next to your name in the book of life because you're sharing your faith. You share your faith out of the response to the redemption that you've received. So it's not about, God's not about your effectiveness. He's about your obedience. See, listen, you don't save anyone. God does. Hallelujah, because if we save people, we're not very good at it. Just saying. So today, I want us to start off where we left off. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we walked through one verse and did all we could to break down the many facets of the gospel. Here we go, 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Now, brothers and sisters, Christians, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you've received and on which you've taken your stand. Christians, Paul says, let me bring to your memory what I preached because it is what you've received and what has changed you. We know this because you've taken your stand on this fact. I so appreciate this verse because Paul is preaching the gospel again to Christians to make sure that they are reminded of their hope, but also because he knows that talking about the gospel creates a reaction in people. Those who are redeemed tend to react with thankfulness to God for being reminded of what God's done for them. Verse 2, by this gospel you are saved, check this word, if you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. <laughs> Paul continues as he preaches the gospel to Christians to tell them of the effect that the gospel has on someone who's received it. By this gospel, here's another translation, by this gospel you are being saved. You guys get that? You are being saved. So I get asked this question all the time. When does one get saved? And I have three answers I like, because I like to confuse. You ready? There's three. And I think they all work together. First one, before the foundation of the earth was created. What? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. For he, this is God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So if you stand forgiven today, it's because before the foundation of the earth was created, God had a plan for your life. And we don't need to quote Jeremiah 29, 11 for that. Before the foundation of the earth was built, he knew us and chose us to be holy, to be set apart, to be blameless. So we were saved before the foundation of the earth, but we were also saved once the gospel, the good news, takes root. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and Peter, speaking at Pentecost, says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is good news, because the Holy Spirit's not an it, he's a he, and he is active in transforming God's people. The Holy Spirit is the deposit of your future inheritance. He is the seal, not oh, 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 he is the seal of your salvation. His presence is the guarantee of our right standing before God, which only comes through grace, through faith in Christ. So before the foundation of the earth was created, salvation came. When we repent and turn to Christ, salvation comes. And then lastly, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Future tense. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be future tense saved. So you were, are, and will be saved. That's how it works. You can't screw that up. If God has gotten a hold of you, you can't get away from him. Hallelujah. Because God is the active agent, not you. So once you know Christ and you've received his message of the gospel in the person and the work of Jesus, you take your stand on this truth. You hold firmly to it. Any fishermen up in here? Any fishermen here? Come on, Kyle. I know you're a fisherman. Anyone else? Okay. All right. David? Yes. So I'm not a fisherman at all. So this is totally going to speak to five of us, all right? But the hold firmly that Paul uses, it's a nautical term. So when you come in and you're bringing a boat to shore, do you just do nothing and just leave the boat near the shore and hope it stays there? No. You don't even need to be a fisherman to understand this. You tie it to the dock, correct? You take a rope and you tie it to the dock. That's the term that Paul uses for hold firmly. I can geek out in Greek words too, guys. As a boat would be tied to and fastened to the shore, we as believers are fastened to this good news of Jesus Christ as our only means of justification. There is not the gospel and then some more stuff. Let religion do that. There's nothing else but the gospel that makes us righteous, not our humanitarianism, not our earthly accolades, not our bloodlines. I was born a Christian. Impossible. Not another person's opinion. But Christ Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension are what make it so we can live a life forgiven. But Paul uses a really scary word, and I'm quoting Janet Jackson for a second week in a row because she has a song called this. It's the word if. If you hold firmly. Why is if scary? I didn't say it. I said if. Why is if scary? Because by using the word if, he's saying that there is some actual evidence to one's redemption. It is, here's the word if, it is a conditional clause by definition. I'm a nerd. If says that there is some expectation and condition that is fulfilled when the Spirit of God has actually done work in you. Huh. For those who have been included in Christ, those who have gone from death to life, I'm not saying because they were baptized, that was just a symbol of their death to life, but the word if for those who have been redeemed ought to be affirming 
It ought to be confirming because you know that this from death to life promise that the Lord gives to those whom he has drawn has been affirmed and confirmed by the work of his spirit in you. I'm not just grateful for the message of the gospel church. I'm grateful for the work of the gospel in my life. The fact that I stand before you, this, an atheistic, antagonistic kid who had too much energy and had a ton of rage, God decided to come and redeem. When? Before the foundation of the earth was created, when I repented, and one day I will be in perfect relationship with God without any chasm and without the mistaken life that is full of sin. This is good news, but it's because of the gospel work in me. The fact that I stand before you and preach to you is the gospel work in me. But it took a lot of steps to get me here. And that doesn't mean that all of you ought to be preachers. In fact, James says, be really careful before you teach others because you will be judged more harshly. And I believe by people and by God. And so there's this interesting thing about the gospel work. It starts to change us. It actually starts to do what we talk about all the time. It sanctifies us. Those who hold firmly are being sanctified. That is the evidence that one has held firmly in the first place. Not because they sit in a room quietly all day in prayer, attempting not to sin, but because this life circumstances that they go through are opportunities for growth. The things that we experience are opportunities to either blame God for our circumstances or to respond in such a way that we see God growing us. So this word if points us to someone who holds firmly, who is being sanctified, which is exciting. That's why we talk so much about Christ's likeness. That's why we talk so much about spiritual growth, because the more we look like Jesus, oh, that's good. But Paul ends with a pretty negative phrase that I want us all to be aware of. He says, otherwise, you have believed in vain. What Paul is communicating is the actual reality the one who thinks that their minimal acknowledgement of Jesus Christ or God existing but having no effect in their life is enough, that's in vain. You cannot, just stay with me for a second, you cannot have a building fall on top of you and not be affected, right? Like that would hurt, that would change you, that would mess up your clothes, it'd probably mess up your hair, it'd probably kill you, right? And God's godness is a lot more impactful than a building falling upon you. You hear me? So take inventory of your soul, church. Has the person and work of Jesus actually changed you? Or have you believed in vain? So why do we start with this? Because what we're going to be talking about next must come from a person who's been reconciled back to God because you can't introduce someone to someone else who you don't know. You must first know the Lord to tell others about the Lord. And it's so important. If we're going to talk about sharing him, we better share him from firsthand information. So half a verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, and we'll jump more into this next week. For what I received, Paul says, I passed on to you as of first importance. You know what's interesting? The next thing that he's going to talk about is the gospel. He doesn't talk about church attendance, giving, doesn't talk about uh, predestination, doesn't talk about uh, free will, doesn't talk about church uh, strategy. He doesn't talk about any of that. The next thing he talks about is the fact that Jesus died for our sins. 
was buried, and physically rose from the dead. That's what's of first importance. So why am I passionate about this? Because at this point, the gospel of Jesus Christ requires a response. <laughs> it requires a response. Even someone who ignores it, they are responding by denying the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus Christ. But when the gospel is shared, it will have a response. It will either be received or rejected. But the results, church, they're not up to you. They're up to God. They're up to the Redeemer. John chapter 1, verse 12, we studied this a while back. It says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This verse blesses my soul. This verse should be on the bottom of an in and out cup, y'all. <laughs> those who received him, those who believed in, on his name, believed that he was the one that could give them right standing. He gave the right to become children of God. Christians, do you realize that you weren't just saved so you could be comfortable? You were adopted by the king. Hallelujah. And when the gospel is received, it grants us adoption into the kingdom of God. So Paul says, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And I don't think in the church today we understand how important the gospel is. And how nothing, I mean Nothing should take precedence over the good news of Jesus Christ, his work, and his person. Not our church's brand, not our own personal carbon footprint, not our strong theology, not our expressive worship, not our dynamic speaking. Nothing should take precedence over the fact that Christ came and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. It is only the gospel of Christ, who he is, what he has done, what he has said, and what he has accomplished accomplished that ought to be of first importance for Christians. And if we continue to make the gospel our filter, continue to make it our lens, we would see others around us as more important than ourselves. We would live on mission. Our priorities would be so unlike the world's, which would, in theory, create an inquisitiveness in the people watching us. Because they're looking at our lives, seeing that we don't have the same priorities that the world has. So what Paul received through Jesus personally, making himself known to be alive on the road to Damascus after he had died on a cross, is something that changed Paul's life so much that he had this supernatural response to then share it with others no matter what persecution he was going to go through. Paul was the OG superhero, and here's what I mean by this. Original gangster superhero? That makes sense, I think. He's the original superhero, like Iron Man, he doesn't actually have a superpower, but he, anyway, Iron Man's my favorite, anyway, sorry, Marvel, Captain Marvel was really good, just letting you guys know that. And you want me to spoil it? No, just kidding. Um, back to Paul. You couldn't do anything to Paul. He tried to kill him. He would say, to be with Christ is to gain you tried to stop him from preaching, by putting him in jail, he'd convert your guards. There were all these things that you attempted to do to Paul, and he knew that his life was but nothing without Christ Jesus being the one who leads him and is the point. So I want to caution us when it comes to the idea of evangelism. 
on passing on what we've received, on introducing others to Jesus, we must, and for some of you, you're going to be like, why would anyone think this? But, but bear with me, because I've been doing this a while. We must see evangelism as the extension of our salvation, not the means in which we are saved. We don't share because God likes us more. God's loved me before the foundation of the earth was created. Hallelujah even though I ran from him for the first 20 years of my life. And I still run from him today, unfortunately. And so we don't get this star next to our name in the book of life. We don't get God to love us more by sharing. We do it because we've been redeemed. There's an old quote, evangelism is just one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is. So if you're going to go share with someone else, you're no better than them. You're just ahead of them in understanding. That's it. Paul, while speaking to the church in Colossae, he gives some really practical requests to the people that he's writing to that I believe we can see and use as ways to engage our sphere of influence with the good news of Jesus. But let me just tell you what was happening when he wrote this. He was chained to a guard. He was on house arrest. He could not move. He could not do anything. And yet here he was writing to the church in Colossae saying, pray for me. Do these things. Trust Jesus Christ. So here's, how we start, here's what he says in verse 2, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devotion isn't a word that I think we understand very well. Because we think any minimal amount of effort could be constituted as devotion. But what Paul was affirming was what was already happening. Devote really meant to continue in what you were already doing. And prayer, when it comes to evangelism, is our greatest offense, it's our greatest opportunity finder, and it's our greatest proof of our confidence in the Lord. Here's what I mean. You and I, Peter, Paul, multiple people in the New Testament in particular, talk about that as Christians, we ought to have a defense. The word defense means an answer. We better have a reply, and it's a defense, which means if we're going to answer someone's question, we first have to be asked a question. You guys picking up what I'm putting down? This is sociology. You can't answer a question no one's asked, but for some reason in evangelism, we do. Excuse me, what time is it? Uh, time for you to repent, right? <laughs> and we constantly answer questions that no one has asked. But the term that was used throughout the New Testament is to have a defense. And what happens is we use a defense as an offense and we offend people. You guys notice that? We go and share with someone something they did not ask and yet wouldn't it be a lot easier that if they asked you about something, you all of a sudden had an answer for them? Oh my. So it is your greatest offense. Prayer is your greatest offense. In fact, there was a, there was a young woman I was talking to at San Jose State once and and she was very against the idea of Christianity. And she was saying some stuff. And we were talking back and forth. And she said, she said something to me. And I said, well, I'm going to pray for you. And she goes, you don't have to. And I said, you can't stop me. <laughs> prayer is our greatest offense. Prayer is often where we're awoken to people's needs spiritually. We're also awoken to their spiritual condition. We got woke so in prayer, 
you start to have your eyes open to the opportunities around you. Let me, let me just encourage you with something, and some of you are going to be like, no, I want to pray. That's fine. Do what you want. But here, you don't have to pray for opportunities. <laughs> They're all around you. You pray for the eyes to see the opportunities God's already giving. And through prayer, you're not only starting to see these opportunities, but through prayer, you're also not putting your confidence in your charismatic presentation or your persuasiveness, but you are resting in God's sovereignty to seek and save those who are lost while God uses you to be a conduit of grace. So he says, be watchful. Here's what watchful means. It means pay attention. Pay attention to the things around you. Pay attention to where and how God is already moving. Pay attention to how you carry yourself. Pay attention to the words that you use and those around you. Here's a simple thought. Are people around you asking questions? Are they asking questions about spiritual things? What are they asking? Why are they asking what they're asking? What words do they use and what words do you think they understand and what words do you think they don't understand that they're using? Pay attention to how God may be leading you to be available to people around you who might be without hope. But you do this in prayer and then you start to see how God's already moving in context that you never realize. Sometimes we force it. We force it where God isn't moving. We think evangelism is some canned message and not an active miracle of God's working through his people. So be devoted to prayer, be watchful, and then be thankful. Be thankful that God of the macro and the God of the micro uses messed up, valuable people like you and I to accomplish his purposes of redeeming and reconciling people back to himself using his word, his spirit, and his people. Oh, it's good news that he uses us. But I wouldn't use us, would you? Be thankful of God's grace even when he doesn't seem to save or sanctify people the way you'd want him to. You ever notice God's more patient with people than we are? I'm very grateful for that. Verse 3, Paul says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Remember what Paul's doing as he is writing this. So for the record, Paul's probably the most bold individual ever born of a man and a woman ever. You guys notice that? Like, you couldn't do anything to him. He gets on a boat to preach the gospel. He goes and preaches the gospel. And then all of a sudden, he gets shipwrecked. And he's still going to preach the gospel. And then he gets bit by a snake. And he's still going to preach the gospel. He gets beat up, thrown out of town. He goes back into town because the Spirit led him back into town to preach the gospel. He's the most bold individual born of a man and woman. But here's the thing. He asked for prayer. We need to pray. Lift us up, he says, because even empowered people by the Spirit need and ought to be prayed for to proclaim the message of Christ. And because God's the active participant, we need to rely and depend upon him to show up and show off. So prayer for an open door is something we ought to pray for. In the first century, the apostles were experiencing such great persecution against even opening their mouths to speak of this event, person, and teaching of Jesus Christ. And a while back, 
my best friend Stephen is a he's a police officer, and he has a a partner. And this was years ago when we had just started to kind of do life together, and he had gone through the compelled training, and we had started to hang out and study the Bible together. And Stephen had a partner who seemed to be asking some questions. And so Stephen was ready with an answer and started to talk to his partner and started to explain the gospel to her. And as they were talking, as they were having these conversations, it would be really, really easy for us to all get excited for Stephen's partner. But you know who I was especially excited for? Stephen. Because Stephen was putting into practice his faith. The Spirit of God was the active agent in his life, and it was obvious because it is not natural to share our faith with people, right? It's difficult, but the good news is it's supernatural, and when the Spirit does it, there is some great things happening, and it's proof of the Spirit of God. Verse 4, pray, Paul says, that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. <laughs> okay, Clarity in your gospel presentation is something that is expected the more we grow in our relationship with Jesus. This is actually a marker of our relationship with Jesus. I remember sharing the gospel and not only not being clear, I was pretty incomplete in the gospel message that I first shared. I'd share about his death, but I wouldn't explain his resurrection. Maybe I'd talk about the kingdom of God, but I wouldn't talk about the king of that kingdom. I'd explain belief, but I'd omit repentance. And as I have grown, I've gotten to know my Lord better. I strive to share a more holistic and clear gospel, not just with those I preach to, but those I talk with. Verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Wisdom on how to act and talk around people who are yet to know the Lord is way more important than we realize. I think we often just assume people will catch up. We often assume that even though they can't understand something, that eventually they'll get it. But a lot of times, people's response is to check out or to fill in the blanks with some cultural religion rather than gospel-centered truth. That's why so many people still think that the gospel is doing good works. That's why so many people think that you and God are good because you come and you spend an hour and 30 minutes with them once a week. We fill it in with a cultural religion, and so we have to proclaim the gospel clearly that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could have right standing with God. It's through his work that we are redeemed, not ours. So we want to be intentional in the way we act. We want to be intentional in the way we talk. We want to have an intent that points people towards Jesus through our lives and through our speech. But it begins with how we intentionally live our lives. So let me give you a point that a lot of you are going to be like, oh, what did he say? I'll say it twice. Don't let your life be an excuse for someone else to not follow Jesus. Did you hear me? Don't let your life be an excuse for someone to not follow Jesus. You can have the most clear gospel presentation. You can know all the theology that anyone's ever known. You can be consistent in church. You can wear a tie in church. You don't have to. But people will look at the messenger before the message. And if they have an excuse, their natural response will be to find an excuse to not listen to that person. 
So making the most of every opportunity comes from an understanding that we ought to be expectant that Jesus is coming back. Yeah, you guys say amen, but really? So don't just look busy. Be intentional. There are lives around you that God wants to use you as a conduit of grace, and you think, ah, there'll just be more time. It's this really interesting thing that we ought to be expectant, but we also didn't need to preach at everybody. You ever notice Jesus walked past people in the Gospels? Do you ever notice that the two thieves on the cross, one was throwing insults at him, and one understood who he was, and Jesus never preached the Gospel at the guy who's throwing insults at him? Interesting. So we ought to be expectant, but you know who God wants us to be specifically expectant with? The people in our sphere of influence. The people that we do life with. I am not against sharing your faith with a stranger. I'm not against talking with someone who you just met about Jesus. What I'm against is monologues, where it's just one person talking, or where you're answering questions no one's asked. So don't just look busy, be intentional. There's a lot of people in my life that I'm friends with who don't know Jesus. And I reach out, and they reach out to me, and we do things together. And I'm intentional in those relationships. I don't blast them with the gospel every time I see them. I don't, you know, they stub their toe, and they yell the Lord's name, and then I explain who he is. You know, like, I don't do that. But I'm building a rapport. I'm building a relationship. I'm cultivating the relationship. Some of you, just so you know, you're in this place, redeemed by Jesus Christ, because God used my intentionality with you because I cared about your soul. So yeah, I always have an intent to engage with people and point them towards Jesus. But some people aren't ready. That's okay. We're going to be consistent. We're going to love people into the kingdom. Paying attention to if and how God may be drawing someone is something that we need to look for and grow in. People's questions to you matter. Pay attention. If people are asking questions, are they asking questions because they're inquisitive or argumentative? Inquisitiveness is a symptom of God's drawing. And here's one of the things, like, here's the bummer. Like, what I'm about to say, there are people that are not here that need to hear this. So if you know who I'm talking about, go tell them this. Inquisitive is, inquisitiveness is a symptom of God's drawing. There's this, there's this type of thirst that people have for Jesus, even if they don't know it's Jesus. The second person in that video, Robbie, the really large guy, the tall dude, Robbie, he started to realize he needed a relationship with creator. And it was through God's work, through Scott and through others, that eventually he realized that creator's name is Jesus. And now he's in relationship with him. And some people, they may just ask questions because they want to argue. They may just ask questions. This is one of the reasons I got off social media. Everyone's opinion matters. Not everyone's opinion matters to me. You guys picking up what I'm putting down? And so it's important that when we see someone engaging online, some of you may like to do this. I've never seen anyone argued into the kingdom. Just putting that out there. But some of us see people who are argumentative and we think they're being drawn when they're just being argumentative and they really want to see if you really believe what you say. Some ask these questions because they're antagonistic. But don't be afraid of atheists. Don't be afraid of agnostics. You know why? Because Christians have the resurrection. Boom. And what atheists have are subjective arguments 
because they don't like the authority that comes from a sovereign king who rules and reigns. You know how I know that? Because I was one. But make the most of every opportunity. Let your life be lived as if you were representative of Jesus to those you know well and those you come in contact with. I love going to my Pete's. Okay, I'm just putting that out there. In fact, we have people in this community that now work at that Pete's. Missionaries, right? Like we, I love going into the Pete's because I know all the staff. And when new staff gets hired, the, the management actually introduces them to me. And they'll say things like, he kind of works here. Because I spent so much time there. And I spend time there meeting with individuals. I got really comfortable couches in my office now, so I spend a little less time there. But I meet with people at Pete's. And it's really interesting. A lot of the staff and then a lot of the regulars, eventually, when I'm by myself, maybe studying or listening to music or reading, they'll come over to me. And they'll be like, hey, I noticed that you meet with people and like you're talking with them and then both of you put your heads down and then you're talking and then you hug and then they leave. What's that all about? I'm like, oh, great question. I'm actually studying the Bible with them. And they're like, what? But there's this inquisitiveness that happens because I'm consistently there. And I'm not scary. And I don't wear a robe. Sorry, you, you can wear a robe. That's fine. Just not to Pete's. Weird. But God's timing is unlike ours. He knows the whole story. He isn't impatient like we are, yet he is loving and he loves those who do not know him yet even more than you do. So be consistent. God's timing is truly unlike ours, and he allows our circumstances to be opportunities to look to him, good, bad, or indifferent situations, so they can point to him. And our job is to point that out for our friends and family. You don't always have to be that person that something bad happens and you go to your friend, well, it only happened because God wants to draw you. No, 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 be a friend first. But when they're ready, maybe you have that deeper conversation and you point them to Christ and you point out that the circumstances are opportunities for them to either run from God or run to him. One of my favorite things that I've heard a thousand times is, well, I don't believe in God. My response is all, well, that sucks. He believes in you. And they're like, huh? Well, since you said, huh, I'm going to share the gospel with you. No, I don't actually do it that way. But the truth is that people don't realize what they don't know. They're not understanding that a lot of the things that they say are just cultural understandings of who God is. A lot of times the God that people don't believe in is a God we don't believe in. So you got to get really clear on who is this God that you don't believe in, yo. I don't know why I put yo in that. Verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace. Hi, Grace. To get what you don't deserve is what grace means. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So we not only ought to be intentional in how we live our lives, but we ought to be relational in the way that we share Christ. Because we don't have to force it. And honestly, sharing the gospel doesn't need to be that hard. We just need to look for the opportunities God's presenting. Every conversation becomes spiritual eventually if you keep talking. Eventually, you run out of sports to talk about. Eventually, you know, and if your life, here, here okay, real practical thing. Someone's going to go, how was your weekend? You ready? 
don't just talk about Saturday. <laughs> this is a rest day for you all, not for me. I rest tomorrow. And so you, except I'm playing golf, that's rest. You all have the opportunity when someone asks you about your weekend not to be that guy. Do you know what that guy is? Oh, it's great. We talked about redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he can, no, 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 shut up. But you can share about how things are going in transparency. You can share about what you learned on Sunday. You can talk about things that actually made a bigger difference than I got to sleep in two extra hours on Saturday and then lost sleep on Sunday. So every conversation becomes spiritual eventually. And our evangelism doesn't need to be forced. A lot of the reasons that we force it is because evangelism over the past few decades I think has become something where people think that they have to convert people. Listen, if I can convert you to something, the world will convert you to something else. That's not what we're talking about. So let your conversations always be full of grace. Um, Paul, that's hard. But remember where Paul was when he said this. He was in prison dealing with guards who wanted to stop him from preaching the gospel. That is the context in which Paul writes this. So what if I'm having a difficult conversation with someone? Always be full of grace. What if I'm dealing with a barista who got my order wrong? Always be full of grace. What if someone has offended me by being selfish? Always be full of grace. Season with salt. You know what salt does? It adds taste to things. So he means do not speak about things that are tasteless. Speak about things that are edifying. Speak in such a winsome way that it creates this spiritual water for their thirst. So why be full of grace? Why speak in a way that welcomes questions? So you'll know how to answer everyone, he says. You'll know how to come up with good answers for people's questions. You know how you come up with good answers for people's questions? Practice. Practice, Ellen Iverson says. No, really, practice. Practice doesn't make perfect, only Jesus does. Practice makes better. So practice of asking questions that are difficult. Practice asking these questions to people you respect. Don't just learn answers from people. Pay attention to how the people you ask questions to, pay attention to how they answer the questions. Years ago, I think it was like seven years ago. Man, I'm getting old. Santa Clara University, core. What, what? Anyone? Yeah? <laughs> Come on. We did a thing called Stump the Evangelist, and we invited, there was like 300 people there, and people who weren't at the school came, and so that was kind of an issue, but it was still fun. And they came, and they just asked questions, and I, to the best of my ability, attempted to answer the questions. And after I did this, we went for like an hour and a half, after we did this, I took a young man with me uh, that I was discipling, and he asked me, he goes, Tim, I've heard you answer those questions way more drop the mic. We didn't use that term back then, but way more slam it down. And why didn't you answer it like that? And here's why I didn't answer it like that. Because the questions they were asking, if they knew it or not, they weren't really looking for the answer to the question as much as they were looking to see the fruit of the Spirit in the person answering the question. To see someone who doesn't act like a know-it-all. To see someone that was going, man, that's a really good question. I wrestled with that myself. 
So you want to be intentional and relational in your evangelism. In fact, the pastor who led me to Christ, let me just be real, hope he doesn't listen to my sermons, uh, his answers weren't very good when I would ask him questions about God. Okay, just being real about this. But God used him, you know why? Because as he tried to answer the questions, he loved me. And I saw it. (laughs) So live in such a way that people have no excuse and are inquisitive. And be prepared with an answer through practice of the truth of God. See, I'm not here to convert or train you on how to be a gospel salesman. I want us to be people who understand that what we've received like Paul, we can then pass on. We cannot keep it to ourselves. So I want to introduce you to someone who's very special to me. I don't think I've ever done this on a Sunday. So she's already getting up. I want to introduce you to someone who not only is my baby mama, she's my best girlfriend. She puts up with me, my wife, Erin Riley. Would you guys welcome her? You love words of affirmation. You ever notice in marriages, like if your, your uh, love language is one and your spouse has a different one, you always do yours for them? This is me doing that for her. I like words of affirmation. She likes service. And so I'm serving you in this way. <laughs> so the reason I'm introducing Erin to you is because a lot of you know her and you appreciate the fact that she loves your children. That's crazy. Like I love my kids. She loves your kids. That's crazy. That's why she's the children's director and I'm not. No, I love your kids for the most part in Christ. Uh, But she, she loves other people's kids. And the thing that you appreciate about the opportunity that I have to serve in this church and be the lead pastor is because she supports me in it. And she makes it so I can do the things that I do and preach and and give vision and lead and shepherd and disciple and all those things. She supports me in all of those things. And what's so awesome about it is I have absolutely no problem introducing her to anyone. Hey, this is my wife. She's legiticus, right? I think that's a word. Yeah, I know it's weird. But I love to introduce her to people. You know why? Because she raises my stock. You guys know what I'm saying? Like, You're going, that guy, like, why'd she marry him? Yeah, no, I get it. But she raises my stock, and I have no problem introducing her to anyone ever. Why? Because God's used her to change me so much. So why would we have a tough time introducing other people to Jesus, who's changed us even more than our spouse or best friend ever can? Thanks, babe. Why do we have such a tough time introducing people to Jesus? Because he's not physically standing here. He's here. He's working. He's doing work. I think it was Billy Graham that once said, you can't see God, but you can see the effects of God, like wind. You can't see wind, but you can see the effects of... God has been working through so many of us, and it is so obvious and easy to tell others about what he's done, but we got to introduce people to the person of Jesus Christ. I'm not here to change your morals. I'm not here to tell you to clean yourself up. I'm here to introduce you to my Lord and Savior and trust that if you meet him and know him and repent and follow him, he will transform you however he deems necessary.